Then Jesus took a cup. He gave thanks. And he said, take this cup and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until God's kingdom comes. Then Jesus took some bread, gave thanks, broke it. It gave it to the apostles saying, this is my body, which I am giving for you. Do this to remember as a memorial to in remembrance of me. Mighty God, here in your presence, all things are made new. We worship you today. We honor you today. We magnify you today, Jesus. Be exalted, be lifted up. We magnify you. We love you. Open our hearts to your word, God. Let it have its effectual work, its great work, its deep work inside of us, God. And we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, come on. Praise him today. Beautiful presence of the Lord here today. For those of you who have recently joined Nairobi Lighthouse Church, my name is Pastor Don Matheny. <laughs> it's been a minute since we've had the opportunity. I want to just appreciate all of our amazing pastors and their wives and the servants of the Lord who came and ministered in this pulpit. We are just so grateful to God. And it's wonderful to be in his presence. I want to focus on the latter part of verse 19. When Jesus said, do this to remember as a memorial to, everybody say memorial. Do this to remember as a memorial to in remembrance of me. I want to focus in laying the groundwork for today and the following Sunday, or the, I mean the coming Sunday. I want to lay the groundwork by focusing on this word, memorial. Do this to remember as a memorial to in remembrance of me. Today, right across the globe, there are thousands of memorials. Many of them are of world-renowned status. I began to study of memorials right across the, the globe and some of the top ones, I don't have time to get into them, but a few of them, the 
National Memorial and Museum in New York City. In fact, I discovered that there are over 1,000 9-11 memorials in the world today. 9-11 memorials that are in the world, over 1,000. 700 of them are in the U.S. And practically all of them, all of the memorials have been constructed from the twisted steel that was taken from ground zero. We have the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin, Germany, dedicated to the six million Jews who lost their lives in 19, from 1941 to 1945 in World War II. We have the Taj Mahal in Agra, India, This was constructed in the 1600s. This building is 3,249 square meters of living space. That's about 38,000 square feet. Now listen, the Taj Mahal was built to house the tomb of one woman. 3,249 square meters. I guess it was the house of her dreams. But it was built after she died. It was to house the tomb of one woman named Mumtaz Mahal. She was the third and the favorite wife of Emperor Shah Jahan. And it's built almost exclusively out of ivory white marble, and it is considered one of the wonders of the world. We have the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial, which is near the National Mall in Washington, D.C. It's carved out of a solid piece of granite in memory of the civil rights leader, Martin Luther King Jr. in the early 1960s. We have the Kigali Genocide Memorial, which I recently visited when we were ministering in Rwanda last month. In memory of the over one million Tutsis who were slaughtered 28 years ago, bringing that entire nation to its knees. When we hear the word memorial, our minds immediately go to places and pillars of stone and edifices and buildings such as we've just mentioned. Primarily, memorials are erected to remember the dead. That's the primary purpose of a memorial, to remember the dead. But Jesus's memorial would be different than all of these. Come on, somebody. What sets his apart from all others is, yes, there was a death, but there was also a resurrection. There was sacrifice and heroic love, but there was also 
victory, and promise. The moment would not end in tragedy, church. The moment would not end in tragedy. It would end in hope and salvation. Setting it apart from every other memorial. Jesus did not leave what other men leave behind. There is no tomb like that of Egyptian pharaohs. There is no marvelous bust like that of Julius Caesar. There's no great city with his name on it like Washington, D.C. The memorial that Jesus established was made moments before his arrest, trial, and crucifixion. In the upper room, Christ instituted a simple supper to be his memorial. Not a great edifice, not a great building. Jesus instituted a simple supper to be his memorial. The memory of a plain, simple, honest Savior. The man among all men. The Last Supper. He instructed that this supper be eaten as a way of remembrance and for Jesus to spend some of his very last moments here on earth establishing this memorial. It ought to prompt us to realize the significance of the Lord's Supper. So we're going to take a few moments today and we're going to discover the meaning of communion. Discover the meaning of communion. Today is part one of two parts, and we will be ending this next Sunday by sharing together as a church the table of the Lord. Come on, somebody. We're so ready. We've been so ready for so long. In this particular season that we are walking through nationally, in this season that we're walking through economically, it's so important, I believe, and we believe it's so important that we as a church family come together as one, that we come together as one to share in communion. Right now, politically, our nation is divided straight down the middle, but we, the church of Jesus Christ, are not. And it's so important for us to come together as his people and to lead the way in sharing together and uniting our hearts together. And we're going to do so a week from today. As we prepare and ready ourselves for the table of the Lord, some of us need to understand its significance, while others of us need to be renewed in our understanding of what this is all about. Most of us grew up in churches where 
We were allowed to receive communion if we took certain classes. Or for others, it was a matter of becoming a certain age. And then you could take communion. Some of the things that we were taught may not have been accurate. Or they may have been incomplete. You see, in some churches, you just have to be a member of that congregation to receive communion with no personal relationship with Jesus required. And after being born again, many believers have carried on with the biblical practice without discovering the greater revelation of communion's power and of communion's significance. So what exactly are we doing? What are we to be remembering? So are you ready for the next few minutes to discover? Come on, can we discover the meaning of communion? That it not be just taken traditionally or because we're of a certain age or we've attended a certain class. We want to discover revelation. Lay hold of some things. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Verse 23, for I, Paul said, for I received from the Lord the teaching that I passed on to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took a piece of bread. He gave thanks to God. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in memory of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is God's new covenant, sealed with my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in memory of me. This means that every time you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, as he often did, was speaking symbolically. So to to say he was speaking literally does not fit with the word pictures that Jesus often used. And so to discover the meaning of communion, number one, we have to discover the symbolism that Christ employed that Christ utilized. If we're going to discover the real meaning, the full meaning of communion, we have to make a discovery of the symbolism that Christ employed. When Jesus said, this is my body, when Jesus took the bread and he broke it, he gave thanks, broke it, and then he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body What would the original hearers, the apostles, the disciples, what would these original hearers of these words have understood them to mean? This is my body. Knowing that Jesus often used illustrations from daily life in his teachings, his disciples would almost certainly have considered these words to be nothing more than pictures of spiritual truths. 
Everybody say spiritual truths. We have to ask the Lord to open the eyes of our understanding that we can grasp what this really means. None of the original hearers, knowing that Jesus utilized illustrations from everyday life in his teachings, would have considered these words, they would have considered these words to be nothing more than pictures of spiritual truths. While Jesus, or while sitting with Jesus at the Last Supper, the disciples could not possibly have understood Jesus to mean that the bread was literally his body. Inasmuch as Jesus was still in his earthly body, standing before them as he's speaking, how then could they surmise or come to a conclusion that he's speaking of his literal flesh? So, in fact, those who had no spiritual understanding, when they those who had no spiritual insight when they heard Jesus say, I'm going to give you my flesh, I'm going to lay down my flesh. They, the Bible says, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And they forsook him. They left him over this very situation. It has to be grasped if you're going to discover the meaning of communion and understand this amazing richness and beauty as we come together, we have to discover the symbolism that Jesus used. So the disciples would not, as Jesus standing before them, they would not consider that this is his literal flesh. His disciples would be, would no more have considered the bread to be the physical extension of his flesh then they would have considered him to be a literal door when he said in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. They would not consider Jesus to be a literal door nor to be a literal plant when he said in John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. They would not consider him to be a literal door or a plant. Aren't you glad we don't worship a plant? The meaning of our Lord's words is, this bread represents my body. Represents my body. He's saying this moments before he is to go to the cross. Moments before he is to be chastised and beaten and his body broken. He's saying this bread that I'm giving you is a representation of my body. As I break it, so will my body be broken. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took upon himself all of our sicknesses, all of our diseases. He, he bore those in his body on the tree at Calvary, on the cross. So his body, as Jesus broke that bread, it symbolizes the body that is moments away, hours away 
from being broken as the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. There is no indication that Jesus meant or that his disciples understood him to mean anything more than that. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic reminder of Christ's death, much as the memorials in the Old Testament cause Israel to remember God's work on their behalf. And you go through and you begin to study the, it's a rich study when you begin to go through the scriptures and study the memorials that were that were put up, the memorials that were placed. And the purpose behind those memorials were that future generations, for example, the memorial in Joshua chapter 4, the memorial that was put up and, and, and later on in Joshua chapter 19 and chapter 22, the memorials that were placed were placed so that future generations, the stones that were taken out of the Jordan and then the st- that were placed on the, on the other side of the, of the Jordan River, they were a memorial for future generations to know of God's great works and God's great accomplishments in bringing his people out of bondage. So is the memorial of as we come together in communion, remembering that he has brought us out of darkness by virtue of his going to the cross and his body broken for us. He was an innocent lamb, the innocent lamb of God, but he took our place. And that's why we, When we come together, we understand that the symbolism of, we are meant to understand the symbolism of what we're doing. And we're celebrating together. We come as one, his body, his people in the earth, his family, and we come to celebrate that body that was broken for us. Aren't you glad there's no building that you have to make a pilgrimage to in order to encounter Christ? Aren't you glad that there's there's no journey that we have to make or some memorial somewhere in the earth that we all have to go in order to really worship? No, He, our living bread, hallelujah. We bow before him. Now get this, when Jesus took the bread in the upper room and he gave thanks, when he broke it and then he said, this is my body, he is using a simple metaphor. Jesus is saying that by taking the bread and eating it in this memorial, the bread represents his body, that body that was scourged, that body that was broken before and during his crucifixion in sacrifice for our sins and being sacrificed for our sins. You see, communion is an outward expression of an inward reality. Communion is an outward expression of an inward reality that we by faith who have embraced, we who by faith have embraced the truth of that body broken for us, for me. It comes down to me As an individual, if you're here today and you're not born again, you do not know the Lord as your Savior. It comes down to you as an individual, embracing by faith the fact that he took your sins. If you had been the only person on this earth, he would have come for you. 
taking your sins to the cross. Having his body broken and beaten, punished, taking your sickness, taking your sin and degradation into himself. And once that becomes an inward reality, once that becomes an inward reality that from that moment on completely directs your life and guides you through life, then would we come together in communion at the table of the Lord. We are celebrating. It's an outward expression of celebration and of memorializing the death of our Savior, rejoicing in the fact that he took our place. It's beautiful. And we celebrate as his body, as his people now, who all are walking with that inward reality, who have embraced that truth. And now we celebrate together. I so look forward to this moment with you next week. The bread and the cup are only symbolic of the body and the blood of Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 48, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna bread in the desert and died, but now here is bread that truly comes down out of heaven. Anyone eating this bread will not die ever. Can we celebrate that fact right now? You will not die ever. Oh, this is so much more than super loaf, my friend. <laughs> to better understand the significance of Jesus saying he is the bread from heaven, let's go back to the Old Testament and let's discover where bread played an, an essential role, helping, helping us grasp the symbolism of this. Many of us are aware, and I want to thank Miss Amy for these notes right here. She ministered this several years ago here at NLC when we were over at Lusaka Road. And uh, I drew from some of her notes. Powerful. Many of us are aware that when Israel was released from their bondage in Egypt and they required sustenance on the journey to the promised land, Jehovah provided them with bread from heaven or manna. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 16. Verses 14 through 25, Jehovah provided the Israelites with bread from heaven or manna. This manna was temporary. This temporary bread, it symbolized the bread that was to come. This temporary bread symbolized the bread that was to come. But its properties, speaking of manna, were such that it was only good for a specified amount of time. You could not gather it for the next day or a few days in advance. It was only good for a specific amount of time. Both breads came down from heaven, but manna was just enough, while Jesus the bread is more than enough. More than enough. This is not, Christ is not a temporary solution. 
Come on, he who receives this bread will live forever. Jesus Christ is the bread. He said, I am the bread of life. Bread, of course, is the staff of life throughout the earth. And Jesus is the bread of life. And when he's received, when he's taken, then our lives are transformed. Secondly, and finally, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight 28 says, let a man thoroughly examine himself and only when he has done so should he eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Look at this. Let a man thoroughly examine himself and only when he has done so should he eat of the bread and drink of the cup. To discover the meaning of communion, number two, discover the necessity of examination. Discover the, ex- the necessity of examination. When we gather to celebrate the Lord's Supper, those who are present are admonished to examine their hearts and their lives before participating. And that is to confirm that they are walking in fellowship with and in obedience to Christ. We're going to be coming together. We're inviting the entire congregation in all three services, the family of God here at NLC, to come together a week from today. And we're going to minister some more on communion, and then we're going to share it together. And in the interim, starting from today and throughout this week, I want to encourage us to, each of us who will be coming to participate, to examine ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to prepare us and to ready us. Some of the ways the New Testament speaks of walking in fellowship with and obedience with Christ is first having submitted ourselves to his lordship, having submitted ourselves to his lordship, Yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit. This week, if there's an area in your life where you are not submitted to the Lordship of Christ, or there's an area in your life or areas in your life where the Holy Spirit is working and prompting and speaking to you, examine yourself. Open your heart to God and let's prepare ourselves and, and, and let's surrender to the Lord this week. What has God been dealing with you about? Come on, we don't want to approach the table of the Lord without making an examination. That we have made everything right with God. Come on, this week, make everything right with God by confessing any recent sins and renewing your commitment to live for Him. Come on, church. Our nation needs us right now. The nation needs the church to be the church right now. We're on a precipice and we need so much as God's people to come together, to set aside any, anything. And that, that brings me to the third point, that we harbor no resentment. We harbor no resentment or any other ill feelings 
toward any fellow believer. Inasmuch as the New Testament teaches that those who have been forgiven are themselves to extend forgiveness. This week, let's take some time to examine ourselves. Let's take some time to examine our hearts. And if there's any resentment inside of us toward any believer, of the, any person in the household of faith, if any resentment or ill feelings toward any fellow believer, come on, let's be the church. Let's rise up and do what Jesus commanded us to do. Let's prepare ourselves and examine ourselves because it's time for his body to come together. It's time for his people to come together. And we're discovering, we're making discoveries this year. And allow the Holy Spirit to help you to see if you find yourself out of fellowship with Christ or out of fellowship with a fellow believer. As we ready ourselves for communion, we encourage you to repent. Come on, take time and repent and make right your wrong before participating. And if that is not embraced, listen to me. If you do not embrace this, then please abstain. Please abstain from receiving it. And then go and make your wrong right. Let's not come into the house of the Lord harboring things against others. Come on, let's let God deal with us and let the Holy Spirit prepare us to come together around his table. Amen. Do you receive that today? We're ready to make that discovery, understanding what we're doing. So beautiful. Lord, prepare me. Come on, you say, Pastor, I, I, I want this week coming. I, I want the Holy Spirit to really continue to work in me. I, I just opened my heart. I'm opening my heart once more to God right now. Come on, lift your hand. Say, I want the Holy Spirit to just ready me any, and reveal to me once more to prepare me to be a sanctuary, to prepare me and ready me as we come together a week from today to the table of the Lord. Throughout this week coming, Holy Spirit, I give you control. Holy Spirit, I give you my heart. I open my mind and my heart to you. Father, I ask you right now in the name of Jesus to minister to every heart. I ask you in the name of Jesus to minister to every life right now. Father, we thank you that our nation, oh God, our nation, oh God, is looking our nation is desperately in need of your people being one, of your people being washed, your people being set free, your people harboring no resentment, your people walking in accordance to what you've commanded that, Lord, just as your body was broken for us, God, we pray that we would come before you, that we would receive the fullness of what You've done for us, oh God, that it would not be something traditional, but God, it would be something of 
vitality and truth that we lay hold of and live by. Prepare us, your church. Prepare us as your people in Jesus' name. We love you and we give you glory. Deal with us, Holy Spirit, and work deeply in these days ahead as we ready ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him praise today and give him glory. Come on, let's be the church. Let's set ourselves as his people right now, leading the way. Regardless of all the political fervor and all that's happening around us, may we truly maintain our place as his people, steady and focused, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Have an amazing week, everybody. And go blessed of the Lord. Go focus. Stay strong. Stay committed. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.